Tonight we're in Psalms 102. If you have a Bible, let's open up there. Next week, just to let you know, is a National Day of Prayer. And so prayerfully, you guys are, are still able to make it out. It's going to be a, a really uh, important day for our nation as we seek the Lord united in heart. And then just to let you know, after that, we're going to have a series. It's called The Essentials of the Faith. And on Thursday nights, we're going to have different guys come in and teaching. And so uh, we're going to uh, take a break from the Psalms. So this is the last time we'll be in the Psalms for a while. Uh, but it's a great uh, section that we're going to go over tonight. And then after we go through that series, then we'll come, we'll come back into the Psalms. And, and tonight, amazing, amazing chapters, Psalm 102 through 104. And the first Psalm we're going to look at is basically kind of like I, I worded it this way, the man with a mission or, or the woman with a mission. And we're going to see in this psalm that this individual is going through some very, very difficult times. More than likely, they're in captivity. And they're, they're, they're going through the, the, the overwhelming trials. And so, of course, they're asking God for deliverance from those trials. But it's kind of cool because we're going to see as we go through the psalms that the priority is not necessarily, you know, my comfort the priority is, this, is for the salvation of the next generation. And that's why, uh, uh, you know, this is the man with the mission. You know, for us, remember this, that we go through pain, but there's always a purpose. And for us, we know ultimately they're spiritual things. And so we begin reading in verse 1. It's a prayer uh, of the afflicted. Notice when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Now, this is interesting, huh? This is unique. It's the only psalm that opens up like this. I mean, it tells you if you're ever in a place uh, where you're overwhelmed, this is the prayer. This is, you know, what you're supposed to do. You know, and the scriptures talk about the fact that, that when we're overwhelmed, we should go to the Lord. As a matter of fact, uh, Turn to Psalm uh, 61, and, and look what it says in verse 1. Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, overwhelmed, uh, it means you're drowning. It means you're, you're getting buried. It means that it's just too much for you to bear. And so what do you do? Well, according to the, the psalm, you, you pray. You pray and you, and you ask God to take you to that rock that is higher than you. And what we see right here back in Psalm 102 is a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed. And notice what he does. He pours out his complaint before the Lord. You know, when I read that, I couldn't help but think of Hannah, and she was going through some very, very difficult times. You know, for her, you know, she didn't have any children. She was being persecuted uh, by her rival. And in those days, for a woman not to have a child was, in one sense, considered the highest disgrace. And, and she loved the Lord. But she's going through this, uh, this embarrassment from the world's perspective. And so, you know, year after year, she's going to the temple. Nothing seems to change. Until finally one year when she goes, you know, she just goes up and she prays, Lord, and, and, you know, 
this is where I've come to now, that if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back to you. And as she's there, she's in anguish and she's weeping and she's praying. Her lips are moving. She's not speaking out loud, but there she is just pouring out her heart to the Lord. And so Eli sees her and you read there that that Eli is like, man, you know, woman, you know, you're drunk. And, you know, he has no discernment whatsoever. The fact that she's going through difficulties and she tells him, she says, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart to God. And you see, I don't know if you've ever been there, but this is where you need to go if you ever find yourself in places where you're overwhelmed. You know, and I know know a lot of you here, you feel that way. I know you do. I know I do. As a senior pastor, as a lead pastor, of course you're going to get hit by the enemy. Of course he would like to discourage me. Of course there would be, you know, intense spiritual battles and oppression. Absolutely, you know. And so when you're there, we we know what to do, huh? We We have to, you know, pray and we have to pour out our heart to God. And and that's what this individual counsels us to do. And we read in verse 1, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in, in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned like like a hearth my my heart is stricken and withered like grass so that i i forget to eat my bread because of the sound of my groaning my bones cling to my skin i am i'm like a pelican of the wilderness i'm like an owl of the desert i i lie awake and i'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop my enemies reproach me all day long those who deride me swear an oath against me for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. And so this guy, I mean, he's going through some tremendous trials, right? I mean, in, in verses uh, 1 and 2, we see a spiritual, he's doing good, you know, praise God for that. But physically and emotionally, he's going through a lot, you know. His, his skin and bones on, on the inside, he's burning. I mean, it, it seems like his life is fading away. There in verse 6, where he says, like, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness, an owl of the desert. I lie awake and like a, I'm a sparrow alone. These are, these are birds that are really not where, where they belong, right? I mean, what we find right here, pelicans don't live in the wilderness. Owls aren't found in the desert. Sparrows don't dwell alone. Therefore, what the psalmist is saying is that he's in a place that really, you know, he feels like he's all alone, like he doesn't belong here. This guy is hurting so bad, you know, and and, and, you know, the enemy we see there in verse 8 is relentless. Now, you may not have a physical enemy, you know, but I will tell you this, that you have a spiritual enemy. And I've learned in my life, man, he never stops lying to me. He never stops tempting me. I mean, he's relentlessly attacking me and I'm constantly 
fighting him. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I wake up with is some crazy thought in my mind. And, you know, it goes throughout the whole day. And then, you know, just in, in many different ways, right? And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I'm there. I, I, I experience that a lot. And you're constantly fighting. And so this is where he's it. And, you know, for us as Christians, so much of, so much of the, the battle is mental, so much of it is mental. You get thoughts in your mind. You're like, where did that come from? I wonder if that, you know, suspicion has any substance to it, you know? And, and uh, what it is, Ephesians 6, it calls them the fiery darts of the devil, man. He shoots them, and they're thoughts that come into your mind. And, you know, you have to make a decision right away to give those God, thoughts to God. Bring every thought into captivity. Or you lift up your shield of faith where you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All, all I know is it's a, it's a battle that we go through that, that brings us. Uh, I was talking to one brother the other day and he was doing, he's doing so good. He's doing so good, but emotionally he's a wreck. And he was just telling me, he said, man, I don't get it. I'm, I'm clean. I'm not doing drugs anymore. You know, I'm following the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. But I feel just like so, like so much like a failure. I feel, you know, so empty inside. And so we were talking and I was asking him a few questions. And I, and I felt like it came to a place where basically, you know, he was in a good place. You're, you, you may not feel good, but you're, you're doing the right thing, bro. You know, you're walking by faith and not by feelings. And just because, you know, you don't feel it, it doesn't mean that you're not, you know, necessarily, you know, doing the right thing. And so, you know, this is, this is the battle that we're in, right? And, and you know, we, we, we might go and you might, you might cry. And right there in verse 9, you know, the ashes are, are like the morning. You're drinking your, your tears. And, and, and this you know, backdrop, it does have to do with some aspect of discipline that the, you know, the individual is going through. Um, and, and here's the, the thing. When the children of Israel were in Babylon, when they were in captivity, um, it's interesting. You think about someone like Daniel. Did Daniel sin personally to belong there? No, but, but he was there. Uh, there were some, yeah, the fathers, you know, they were I- idols, uh, they, were idol- they were guilty of idolatry, they didn't let the land rest, and so they were carried away into captivity, but those that were there, not everyone there was necessarily guilty, and so all I know is somehow this individual is sweeped away in the discipline of God, you know, we see that there in, in verse 10, and he, and he feels like, like he's going to die, right? In verse 11, notice again, my days are like a shadow that lengthens. And so when a shadow lengthens, what that means is the sun is setting. And so here's an individual, he's in captivity, and he, he, he feels like, like he's about to die, like he's, like he's going to die, right? But, but notice what we read next in verse 12. He says, but, but you... Uh, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. 
He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. And so what's going on here, guys? What's going on here? He's going through it personally, but, but really at the end of the day, he has a heart for Israel nationally. He's saying, Lord, rise up and, and deliver your people. That, that's what he's basically saying. We even read that there in, in verse 13. He has confidence. You know, you, you will uh, arise and have mercy on Zion. Notice, for the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. And it's interesting. You might even read some commentaries. I read one that said, you know, that this psalm was, may have been written by Daniel. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, see that. But it, it might be because we do know that Daniel knew that according to the prophecy, Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. We have other places in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36 where it said that when they go to Babylon, they would be there for 70 years. And so this individual knew that the time was, was, was coming close. And so it was time for God to rise up and time for God to, you know, set them back into Israel, back to Jerusalem. And, and that's what we see that the missionary heart now begins to come out. As a matter of fact, you know, he says there in verse 15 that the nations would fear the name of the Lord, the kings of the earth, his glory. The Lord would build up Zion and he shall appear in his glory. And, you know, when I when I was reading this right here, ultimately, I think that this is in, in, in light of uh, the, the fact that the nation of Israel would come back to the land. Uh, and so you're there and that's your your main, you know, your, your main prayer. You know, and for us, it would be like, you know, like living in a time when the church was banished. It would be kind of like that, you know, like the church had been carried away and here you are let's just say all the christians i'm kind of using this as an example all the christians were were in prison and and it's like we're dying in prison you know and 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 we're there and we're saying but lord lord don't let the church end there's the, the promise lord that the church would carry on and so you start praying yeah for your own you know you know benefit lord save me but ultimately lord you know give your church victory and that's kind of what they're what he's what he's talking about israel lord they're they're not in the land they're it doesn't look good lord lord rise up lord save israel and and and, you know what we find right there to me is kind of cool again verse 16 for the lord shall build up zion he shall appear in his glory and you know when i when i thought of a the, the word appearance, you know what I thought of? I thought of Jesus. I can't help but think of the word here in reference to the appearing of Jesus. In Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so, you know, we're going to see as we go through uh, the Psalms tonight, it's kind of cool how, man, so many times, you know, you, you're going to see that they're pointing to Jesus. 
And then in, in verse 18, it says, This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And so that's us. We weren't born yet. We weren't created yet. You know, you look down the corridors of time and you think of the future generations. And one day they'll read the Bible and they're going to see. I don't know about you, but I have seen the sign of Israel. I have seen the way that Israel, man, what a, a sign they are to the world that God is alive. You know, I've seen that, that, that sign of Israel. And even today, 1948, they became a nation again. 1967, they regained Jerusalem again. Anybody who has any type of open-mindedness would see that that is amazing. It's a miracle, right? And so he wrote it all down. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 29, Second Chronicles 36. All these different places in the Bible, right? And now we're reading it and we're seeing what God has done. Not just Israel, uh, of course, but Jesus. What uh, a sign he is. He's the sign of all signs, right? And as a result of that, here we are, you know, 2,000 years after, the, reign, after the, the death and resurrection of Christ, here we are doing what he wanted people to do, and that is praise the Lord. Now, we're not Israel, but we've been grafted into the, the children of God, according to Romans chapter 11. And so the whole thing, you know, the pain with a purpose, the man with a mission, even though he's going through that, you know, the difficulties, even he's overwhelmed, ultimately what he's praying for is that future generations would be saved. And so we read next in verse 19, for he, God, looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, and to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. And so that right there is in reference to the fact that the, the children of Israel were released from Babylon. They did go back to Israel and Jerusalem and they were able to declare the name of the Lord but you know what when I look at that also I think of you guys I think that in one sense we were all prisoners we were all you know lost and dead in our sins we were slaves to Satan we had no way out and he set us free and now we can go and we can share the name of of the Lord because he explains there next he says he weakened my strength in the way he shortened my days I said oh my God do not take me away in the midst of, of my days your years are, are throughout all generations what he's saying basically right there is Lord I'm too young to die you know uh, of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will endure yes they will all grow old like a garment like a cloak you will change them and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will have no end now it's interesting he's saying lord let me live you know i i know i'm just like a vapor i know i'm nothing 
but Lord, let me live because you're the one who lives forever. And as he's talking to God, you know who he's talking to right here? He's talking to Jesus. Because you read this, these very words attributed to Jesus in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And so, you know, it, it's kind of cool. Um, what he's saying right here is, Lord, you know, if possible, spare my life. If possible, I would like to live longer and maybe, you know, I remember when I got diagnosed with high blood pressure, I really didn't know, you know, much about it. All I know is I left the doctor's office thinking I was going to die next week, you know. And I remember I still can visualize myself walking down the street, you know, because now I better start exercising and uh, just asking the Lord, Lord, let me see, you know, whatever, my, my, my children's children, you know, if it's okay, you know, because we want to live, we want to see you know things but ultimately ultimately not my will thy will be done ultimately lord it's about it's about your kingdom not mine it's about that 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 the faith would carry on and and if i need to die you know whatever you know because lord you know what's best and you're wiser than i then lord um you know what we find right here is this individual is at that place this man with a mission and and so we see in closing, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. And here we are, you know, I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know for sure when this was written, 2,500 years ago, um, and, you know, maybe more, 26, 2,700 years ago. And here, here we are, we're, we're still serving the Lord. You know, because the enemy thinks that he can defeat the church, but we know Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so there's this psalm right here, a lot more to it, but in one sense it's a man with a mission. And then this next psalm is is the merciful Messiah. And we're probably just going to be able to do this psalm right here because this is an awesome psalm. Notice what we read in verse 1. It says, the psalm of David Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all. You might want to circle that word. I did in my Bible. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction who crowns you, notice, with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed, think about this, like the eagles. You know, and, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, someone like blind Bartimaeus, you know, when Jesus is, was walking by and he's blind, and who knows, man, he's been blind all his life. And he's thinking, I was born blind, I'm going to die blind. I will never get farther than I am right now. I will never see the colors. I will never see, you know, the face of, of my, you know, uh, family members. I will never see the blue sky or the sunset, you know. And then one day, man, there's this hope that they, they hear, he hears about this one, his name is Jesus, and that he can heal you know, the blind. And, and so, you know, as, as Jesus is in the vicinity, you know, we read about Bartimaeus crying out, 
And what does he cry out? He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's not, you know, saying I deserve it because none of us do. And, you know, we never will. But there's this prayer we can pray, you know, Jesus, have mercy on me. And so when he starts praying that prayer, everyone tells him, be quiet. You're weird, dude. You're like making a scene. And, and what does he do? Do you guys remember what he does? He cries out louder. You know, and for, for me, you know what that is? That's like, you know, Manny, you're a sinner. You know you've blown it. You know you're not worthy. You know, be quiet. And, and then, and then I'm, I'm like, I remember Bartimaeus. I said, yeah, but, but he didn't, you know, you know, necessarily have his prayer answered because he was worthy. He just believed. Have mercy on me. And as a result of that, Jesus stopped. He said, man, there's that guy down there that really has an understanding of what it's all about, that it's not about how good you are because, you know, that's a self-righteous Pharisee, you know. It was a publican who just beat his breast and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? And so Jesus stopped and he, and he goes to Bartimaeus and he says, well, what do you want? And Bartimaeus is just like, Rabboni, that I may, that I may that I may see. And imagine that. I mean, having, having never seen from that point forward, man, God gave him sight. What is it that you need? What's going on in your life? You know, if Jesus, if you could cry out, what is it that, you know, God is just, he's messing with you, man. I mean, he's just saying, this is what he's putting his finger on. This is what I want to do in your life. This is what I want to do through your life. And you're so, you know, caught up and paralyzed because of the fact that you don't have it all together. What we need to see is this psalm right here. This psalm is all about the mercy of God. And if we can get a hold of this, then, man, the sky's the limit. You know, what we find right here is it's all about the mercy. And, and I just love the way that it starts. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Did you know that you can bless the Lord? It sounds kind of weird, huh? And other translations, NIV and NLT, you know, they're cool translations, but man, sometimes they, they kind of, they really mess it up. I mean, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. No, right here, it's bless the Lord. And there is a slight difference. What do you think of when God blesses you? You know, you're thinking God does something good to me. God, you know, gives me, uh, you know, uh, something that makes me smile. It, it makes me happy. And did you know that, that not only can, does God bless us, but we can bless him? Don't you want to do that? I mean, I would love to bless the Lord. And so what we find right here, though, how do you do it? I think there's, there's a couple of things woven into this psalm. Number one is just through your praise. Just through your praise. And I was thinking about when, when we were singing that song earlier, how angel was leading us into saying just this. He was just, we were just saying this. You are beautiful. We, we are telling God, Lord, you're beautiful. 
Now, if you're a wife here today, do you like it when your husband tells you that? You know, I mean, I know some wives are like, you know, you've got to tell me every day, you know, or whatever. You know, but it, it, there's just something about that, 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 especially when it comes from a sincere heart, you know, that blesses them. I think there is an aspect of when you're praising God with all your soul, with all that is within you from the inner core of who you are. You're, you're not just singing the songs. You're not just going through the motions. You're not just wondering if, if they're getting it right. You know, you're, you're, you're wondering, you're concerned with whether or not you're getting it right, whether or not you're really singing these things to God. Because when you do, I think you bless Him. You bless Him when you praise Him. There, there's that part of that. And then also just the whole, the whole life of, of mercy, you know. And, and so blessing the Lord, blessing His holy name, you know, blessing the Lord. He's telling Himself to do this, right? Don't forget the benefits that we have as Christians. And then he goes on to say why, again, who forgives all your, your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And I, I, I wanted to show you guys a video today uh, of the way that the Lord has, he heals our bodies. You know, uh, do you guys ever study that, the immune system? Have you guys, do you guys remember that when you were in school? How many of you remember? Not that many. So, you know, it probably would have been cool to show the video, but I'll be honest with you, when I was looking at the video of how our, our, our body, you know, heals itself, so to speak, and ultimately it's God who heals us, I, I, was, I was just so, it was just, it just went over my head, it's so complex. And, he, and he, how many times has God healed you? You ever had a cold? You ever had the flu? You ever broke a bone? You ever cut yourself? All those times, a million times, he's healed you. And other, other things too, other, the word diseases right here, it's just speaking of sicknesses, you know, and, and other things as well. And then, and then one day, maybe, you know, we'll have something that, you know, is used by God to take us home. But when we're home, will he heal us? See, he's going to heal us either here or there. This is the God that we serve and we bless him. We praise him, you know, because one day we'll be home in our glorified bodies. He, he forgives all our, our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He, re, he redeems our life from destruction. When we were on that slippery slope without hope, God redeemed us from that. And then he crowns us with loving kindness and, and tender mercies. And then I really, I mean, that's awesome, you know. And then the next one, too, satisfies your mouth with good things. What do you, what's that about? I mean, I was thinking food. I mean, just probably because that's my love language, you know. But, I mean, God is so good. And then he renews our, our strength so that your youth is renewed like like the eagles the lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed and so this is um basically you know the way that we praise him for what he does and then we praise him here for what he's done notice he made known his ways to moses his acts to the children of israel 
And so what that is in reference to is the way that God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 through 7, when God revealed who he is, his ways. The way that God is, is that he is long-suffering, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is compassionate. And he goes on, and when he completes the revelation there in Exodus 34, you know, he says, but I'm also holy. And and if you don't enter into the covenant of forgiveness that I've provided, then I will, I will judge. And so what what we learn is, you know, we're praising him, you know, for who he is. That's the way he's revealed himself, his ways to Moses. Not just that but also the word, the word of God that he gave to Moses. And so we have that, don't we? We have his ways, and we get an overall picture of who God is. It's so cool when Christians have a clear understanding of of, of the grace of God and the holiness of God, and when they understand the value of the word of God. That's what we see there in in verse 7. And then we see how God is in verse 8 where it says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. You know, how many of you here, um, if you, can, you can't lie in church. You guys know that, right? You can't lie in church. Otherwise, like lightning comes, right? How many of you here are quick to anger? I mean, you didn't have to raise your hand, but now I know, okay? (laughs) Boom! That one look, that one word, that one little act of defiance on on our our children's part, and boom! You know, you grow horns just like that, huh? (laughs) But, but, But look at the Lord. He's slow to anger. You know, I was reading numbers and how, you know, God had tracked Israel when they came out of Egypt, and then, and then finally, finally, when God had to discipline them is after they had messed up ten times. You know, for us, it's one strike you're out, maybe three if you're nice. But God, he's so slow to anger. And it says right here that he's abounding in mercy. So think about the ten times of Numbers 14.22 and think then about the 70 times seven described in Matthew 18:22 when Peter said lord how often should i forgive my brother up to 7 times i mean think about it you know how many times would you forgive your brother well he did that it's already been 3 times manny peter's like thinking 7 times if they do it to me 7 times then lord i'll i'll do it jesus says no that's not the way that's not who i am that's not the way it works you're to forgive as I've forgiven you. This is how God has forgiven us. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. He says, not seven times, 70 times seven, man. Look at verse nine. It says, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. In in other words, you know, he does discipline, but it's not going to be forever. He has not really dealt with us, in verse 10, according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Now, I want to say a couple of things. We're running out of time here. But right there in verse 11, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Where, where, where it says fear him, basically what he's saying in context is those who are saved. Are you saved? And that, that's, he says it three times in this chapter, those who are fear him. Later on, he talks about those that, that keep the covenant. Basically, it's those who are saved. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards you if you're saved. As the east is far from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, he has eradicated the sin in our life. When he looks at you, and I know we don't see it in ourselves, and this is why we struggle so much, and this is why Christians oftentimes are carnal, because they don't realize how they themselves have been forgiven. You know, because sometimes people think, well, if you, you know, teach this doctrine of grace and, you know, salvation like this, then people are going to abuse it. But that, that's only if it hits the head. If it hits the heart, if this doctrine of forgiveness, that my sins are eradicated, you know, the song we've been singing, So Will I, you know, Man, you know, man, when God just says it's done, when the sin is gone, when that hits your heart, that will change you. Not only will it change you to live a life of gratitude towards the God who has washed away your sins by his very blood, but it will change you because I think one of our biggest problems as Christians is we have a very difficult time truly forgiving others. And what did Jesus say? Well, if you don't forgive, we're, we're going to have some problems in our relationship. And let me read to you what Spurgeon wrote, because I, I, I mean, I, I wanted to read Spurgeon, uh, so many verses here, but this is the one that at least I have to mention. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath they removed our transgressions from us. Oh, glorious verse. No word, even upon the inspired page, can excel it. Sin is removed from us by a miracle of love. What a load to move, and yet is it removed so far that the distance is incalculable. Fly as far as the wing of imagination can bear you, and if your journey through space eastward, you are further from the west at every beat of your wing. If sin be removed so far, then we may be sure that the scent, the trace, the very memory of it must be entirely gone. If this be the distance of its removal, there is no shade of fear of its ever being brought back again. Our sins are gone. Jesus has borne them away. Far as the place of the sunrise is removed from yonder west, when the sun sinks, when his day's journey is done, so far were our sins carried by our scapegoat 
19 centuries ago. And now if they be sought for, they shall not be found. Yea, they shall not be, saith the Lord. Come, my blessings. Hallelujah. The Lord alone could remove sin at all, and he has done it in a godlike fashion, making a final sweep of all our transgressions. And I don't know if you understood that, but I love what Spurgeon said right there. It's gone. It's done. And what we find right here is the Lord... He established his relationship as a father pities his children. Verse 13, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He, he knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. He knows that we're dust. And, and, I, and I hate myself a, a lot of times. Like I hate who I am apart from Christ. Don't you guys realize how, how weak and wicked you are? And how easily, man, we can go astray. And, you know, I think... It's just crazy, man. But the Lord knows this. We live in full-on fallen bodies, don't we? We really do. And our Father knows that. And so we read in verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. In other words, who we are, it's almost as if we're non-existent. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we don't have time to turn there, but when you read that, it just says, man, God has chosen the, the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world. He's chosen you know, the things which are not. And in Greek philosophy, that's like the non-existent individuals. God has chosen us. We're nothing. We're like you know, a piece of grass that gets mowed down. That's us, but... It says the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to to do them. And this is an individual who has entered into the new covenant with a heart to obey. In other words, you're saved. And if, if you're saved, even though we are so finite. We're this little speck in space. We're so insignificant. But because his mercy is everlasting, we are everlasting. When we should have disappeared in the wind, God takes you and he makes you everlasting. You know, the Lord, he says in verse 19, has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom's rules over all. So bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. And bless the Lord, all you whose hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Now it's interesting, in this section right here, it brings up the angels and you know, the angels, they have never experienced grace. And so what he's saying is that God's on the throne. God is God. He sits on the throne of the universe. Everybody bless him. Everybody praise him. You angels, praise him for all the way that you get to do all the things you do. But you Christians, praise him for all the things that he has done. Right? Right? And that's how he ends it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless him. 
Bless him with your worship. Bless him with the songs that you sing. Bless him with the life that you live. In the end, it ends up being a life of gratitude for the mercy he has shown.